Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to episode 79 my name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. I'm also the founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute, Family Counseling and Recovery Center in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's difficulties, reach out to us. You can find more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. Don't forget, if you'd like to share your story, just go to theaddictedmind.com, click on the tab that says share your story and share an audio clip of a little bit of your wisdom that could get featured on the Addicted Mind. I'd really love to have others out there share their wisdom of what they've done to work through recovery, work through addiction, how they've dealt with loved ones who have struggled with addiction, all that hard-won wisdom out there. I'd like to be able to share that with others. So if that's a fit for you, go to theaddictedmind.com and click on the tab, share your story. Also, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes or share the episode with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And think about joining our Facebook group. Go to facebook.com, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join, and you can continue the conversation there. All right. Our guest today is Emily Lynn Paulson, and she is author of the book Highlight Reel, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. She comes on and shares her story of addiction and her journey through the process of recovery and how she had to go through quite a bit of stuff to finally get to a place where she could find sobriety and really heal her life and her family life as well. It's a great story. She's a great guest, and she really speaks to the story that I think a lot of women who are also moms struggle with addiction and how unique that can be and how difficult that can be to go through. So I really enjoyed talking with her. She was a great guest, and I hope you guys enjoy talking with her as well. And let's go ahead and start it. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind 
podcast. My guest today is Emily Lynn Paulson. She is the author of Highlight Real, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. Emily, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, yes, I am Emily, and I have been sober three years now, and this book really came about through that process. I got to the point where I was thinking, how the heck did I get here? I started doing a lot of reading and a lot of writing, and this is how it came about. So I am a certified professional recovery coach and became so during this process of learning about myself and figuring out my own addictions and my own history. And I'm also a mom of five and I live in Seattle. Awesome. So to me, listening to your story, because I listened to your book on Audible and it's a pretty harrowing story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. (laughs) It's a lot. And So tell me a little bit about how all this started, or I guess going to the point where you started finding that alcohol and stuff started to work for you. You know, I would say, obviously hindsight's 2020, you know, I can look back and say, you know, the first time I drank, I realized that it affected me differently than it did my peers. I could tell that my friends were just really drinking because it made them you know, they thought it made them more fun or funnier or let loose a little bit. And for me, I really had this feeling that it made me who I was meant to be, that I was finally able to be who I was. And so that really was a theme then constantly through my whole life. Of course, didn't realize it until much later when I was figuring out my addictions and how they all came about. But that's what really kept it going is that I thought it unlocked my potential. It made me a better mom. It made me a better writer. It made me a better whatever. It made me talk to people more easily, be more social, be more fun. So I think that's really, it stemmed from just that core belief from when I was younger. And it really just weaved its way into so many areas of my life. Right. And and in the book, you kind of talk about how, I guess I'm going to use the word like lied a lot to present a different image to people, to present something else. And the addiction in a way allowed you to continue that. Right. I think fundamentally it was a trouble with being honest with myself and with others. And that is kind of a camaraderie I've found with other people who've gone through addictions is the secrecy of it. So for me, it was really, it was covering up either what I didn't like about myself, you know, even from being very little, the little white lies that I would say that just to make up for who, for what I thought I lacked, even at such a young age and the drinking, you know, these other behaviors really helped me cover up who I was or what I thought I was lacking. So it really came down to like, just generally as self-esteem, self-confidence, you know, disliking myself for some reason. And so the alcohol started to help with that. So how did this grow? Because it got bigger and bigger. Right. You know, I would say it was easy to hide when I was younger. You know, in high school, other people are drinking and there are other people who are doing stupid things when they drink. And even if they're not addicts and that's just a time in history for them, you know, they drank a lot in high school or they drank a lot in college and it wasn't through their whole life. It was easy to hide with other people. And I wasn't one of those people who, you know, Bad things didn't happen every time I drank, but every time something bad happened, I had been drinking. Right. And so I wasn't willing to make that connection, I guess, when I was younger. You know, again, in college, there were people binge drinking all the time. So my behavior didn't look all that different from anyone else. It was easy to hide. 
And as I got through, you know, into adulthood, I started a family, you know, I was pregnant five times. And so I was able to hold it off and also justify to myself, gosh, I was able to give it up for five, you know, nine month pregnancies. Obviously I don't have a problem. Right. And so it really, I was able to hide it for so long, you know, until I couldn't, until the consequences started outweighing what I thought I was getting out of it. Right. In your story, you also talk about what I gathered. You made in some way several attempts to try and stop and you would stop for a while and then it would kind of find its way back into your life. And can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's so common when people struggle with addiction that they kind of stop and then it comes back. They don't really stop, I guess is the what I'm saying. Right. They don't stay stopped. Yeah. They don't stay stopped. Yeah. And that was one justification I always used was that I must not be an alcoholic because I can stop, but I couldn't stay stopped. And so I would try to, you know, give it up for a month and I would say, okay, I did that. Obviously I don't have a problem, so I'll go back to it. And knowing now that that is the addictive thinking, that's the alcoholic thinking that this was something that was really causing me to make really bad decisions, making me feel terrible, affecting my health. I felt better when I wasn't using it, yet I'm going to go ahead and go back to it. And I do think that's very common and not just with severely addicted rock bottom stories, but really just in our society. I'm going to give up alcohol for a month for this cleanse because I'll feel better. Okay. I did that. Now I'm going to go back to it. Right. So I think for me, it was just really not wanting to let it go, knowing it was a problem, but not being willing to say forever, like I'm going to give this up forever. And again, as soon as I would go back to it, I would be right back there and it would be causing problems for me. And I just wasn't willing to face it. Right. And you, in your book, you show a lot of examples of how from alcohol and drinking all the problems that started to exacerbate in your marriage with your kids, everything. Yeah. It really got to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. And I thought I was covering it up or keeping it all together. And other people thought I was keeping it together. Right. And it was sort of a double-edged sword because I was doing whatever I could to make sure that I looked like I was keeping it together. Right. But I wasn't showing enough that it was a problem enough so that anyone would help either. Right. So there goes, again, the dishonesty, the secrecy of it. It was really, you know, I think addiction is really just it can be so soul crushing because it's these lies of omission where we're not being true to who we are and showing people who we really are and what's really going on. Right. Talk a little bit to the subtitle of your book, finding honesty and recovery beyond the filtered life. As you kind of start to paint this picture, how does that start to manifest itself? Well, I think the honesty piece, you know, like we've been talking about, that was just fundamentally something that was a problem for me, even from before I ever picked up a drink, before I was old enough, when I was younger, it just this core feeling about myself that I wasn't good enough. And knowing that none of those things worked for me, lying did not work for me, making other people feel better about who I was didn't work for me, hiding my alcoholism didn't work for me, that I had to 100% be honest. And that was really hard (laughs) for me. Yeah. When we have a lot of shame and pain and we don't like, you know, there's a part of us that doesn't like who we think we are. Yeah. We don't want to share that. No. And so for me, that was really, I knew that not being honest did not work. And so I knew that going forward, I just had to be fully honest. And that was when I first got sober, 
texting everybody I knew, <laughs> hey, I'm not drinking anymore. So just being out there with my sobriety was the biggest thing. And just so people knew that this is what's going on. This is what has been going on. And even writing the book for me, aligning myself with everything that I thought I had gotten over in my life, right? Not being honest with myself about the things I had been through and the things I still needed to deal with that I was drinking over. Right. Which are very, I mean, in the book are very powerful and such trauma from all of that. It's in some ways very understandable that anyone would in a way want to hide from that. Right. And that was, as you read, like a theme in my life. I'm going to move and start over. I'm going to do this and start over. So I was always trying to reinvent myself. And my intentions were always so good to try and start over, but you just cannot start new if you do not deal with what's happened to you before that. And so for me, that's where I had to go back. And I really had to go back to when I was a kid and start dealing with all of those things. And honestly, through that process, and some of the things that I write about in the book, I didn't even really totally uncover until I started the process of learning about it, learning about myself, writing this book, you know, that I was able to realize all of the things that had happened to me in my life and make those connections. It's almost like you had to take the filter off so you could see yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one, you know, another theme of the book too is, the social media aspect too, is what I was showing other people. And it was all the good stuff. It was all the positive things. But yet, you know, even the cover of my book, it's all pictures from my Instagram. They're actual pictures I post on Instagram. But if you look closer, I'm holding a wine glass in every picture. Wow. I didn't see that. I'm going to have to look at that again. Wow. Yeah. Once you look a little closer, you're like, oh, okay. Or I'm with my kids and we're cheersing you know, and they've got their apple juice and I've got my wine. And it just, I didn't even notice how it was such a theme in my life. And I was drinking every day and didn't notice. It was just so a part of my lifestyle. And so, yeah, a lot of it came down to showing other people what was really going on. Right. Like, okay, this is the truth. And then almost the first you have to do it for yourself Yeah. and then do it with the world or some combination of that. Right. And I started speaking about it, you know, in the, I'm a consultant for a skincare company in my side gig. I don't know which is my side gig now, like skincare sales or, you know, recovery coaching. Anyway, I spoke at a convention and I talked about that exact thing that this is what you see. And I was seen as someone who was achieving all the things. I was earning all the trips. I was earning all the prizes. And I showed pictures that People had seen on Facebook, on Instagram, this is with the day I earned this car. By the way, what you didn't see is that I got a DUI that night. And so it really came back to, you know, that comparison trap. We're really looking at those Instagram photos and those high achieving, those beautiful pictures. Oh, I can, I want to strive to be that way. But you don't know what's going on. You don't know that I was actually at a police station that night, but I posted the picture of me earlier in the day before I got arrested. So it's really, I think for me, it was just aligning. This is who I am. All of this is who I am. All the pretty pictures and all of the crap that comes along with it too. Owning that for myself. Yeah. One question I wanted to ask you particularly was as a woman, as a mom struggling with addiction, tell me a little bit about that because I think that's unique in and of itself. So for me, I think it was really difficult to face and confront with my kids, but it also was the biggest blessing. So like I said, I did get a DUI and one of the consequences that came with that was a breathalyzer in my car. And so for me, 
my thinking was, okay, this is the first time I'm going to have to confront this with my kids because now, I mean, I'm their chauffeur. I drive them everywhere. And my kids were very young at the time, but the oldest two were nine and 11. And I picked them up from school and I just said, Hey, you know, I got in trouble. You're not supposed to drink and drive. It's against the law. I did get behind the wheel after drinking. And this is my consequence. And it was a really eye-opening thing for me because it wasn't a surprise to the kids. Like they were aware that I have drank and driven before, you know, with them in the car. And so their awareness was, I mean, it's soul crushing, right? To, oh, to hear imagine. that. Yeah. But even still for six months after that, it took me another six months to get sober, even after that. But it forced me to have those conversations. And my nine-year-old at the time was said, well, why do people drink then? If you can get in trouble for it, you know, if it's bad for your health, if you wake up and you're in a bad mood, if you're, you know, describing all of these things, describing me with a hangover, things that I thought, again, I was holding it all together. The fact that they knew so much more than I thought they did was really difficult. But because it happened at that time, they're able to see the transformation. And we've been able to have those conversations that, I, we used to have cabinets filled with wine glasses and now we don't have any. <laughs> we used to have cabinets filled with wine and now we don't have any. And why I've made that choice and why they can make that choice too, that it's not just a, a requirement. And I didn't realize how much I was placing that on my kids. Like, oh, when you grow up, you're going to be a drinker too. That's what people do. It didn't ever occur to me that I was really putting that on them. Right. And wow. I mean, I would imagine that it's incredibly painful to realize like they saw so much more than you thought. Mm -hmm. But then it also sounds like it's an incredible motivator for you to continue your journey of change. It is. It's for me, just personally in our family, I know it's been a huge blessing and I'm able to have conversations with my kids now who, you know, two of them are teenagers now and they have to deal with this stuff. And they're out in the world now with the knowledge that it is a choice you can make that it's not just a given that eventually you'll be around kids and you'll drink and then you'll grow up and you'll be 21 and you'll drink. And it's not, that's not necessarily the path they have to take. And they know based on what I've gone through that it's not necessarily positive. And so they don't have those same associations. And I think for me too, I really, I wouldn't say on a mission, but I really want to send the message to other women that we need to tell better stories for other women about what alcohol does and what it is. And it's not mommy juice and it's not a mommy's timeout and it's not a required accessory to being a mother. Right. And that's what I loved about your book too, is that it really did bring that in such a way. It just laid it out all on the table. <laughs> like you're, you know, finding honesty, it's right there, bam. And I think for other women out there to hear your story, yeah, I think it'll benefit a lot of people. I really think that's going to be helpful for many people. Well, I hope so. And I think part of it too is, you know, I'm not out there trying to trying to judge people or be preachy or say, I don't want to rid the world of alcohol. I mean, it's a legal substance and if people can enjoy it if they want to. What I really want to get to the bottom of is women thinking this is something they have to do to survive their kids and not from the place of being a know-it-all, but having been through it and being in that place where I just cannot wait to get to dinner time so I can have that glass of wine so I can tolerate what's going on in my life. And now being at a place where even through the chaos and 
kids can be annoying. I mean, <laughs> kids right. are, it's difficult, right? Like, yeah, it is difficult. There's no sugarcoating it, but that there is a way to not just survive it, but enjoy it and lean into it. And all those things that you're numbing out, you're missing. And just to paint it in parenthood and motherhood in a different light that you don't have to be a drunk mom to be able to tolerate it. Right. That you can find support. You can get support. One more question I had was, what was that moment where you were, you reached out for help or you got support? So for me, it was, I was always following people because again, I knew deep down I had Googled. I mean, you read that in the book that I Googled, am I an alcoholic? So many times. So I had those people who I followed, sober women, sober moms. And I had one friend who I knew was an AA. Now, of course, since then, I found tons of friends who were in AA. I just wasn't willing to look at it. You always find what you're looking for, right? But I had her number in my phone and I considered calling her so many times. So it was really the most mundane morning, you know, waking up again, hungover, having blacked out days and just knowing like, I cannot wait one more day. Like I'm really just eliminating myself and calling her and, and she knew exactly why I was calling Right. She already knew it ahead of time. Yeah, she totally knew. And, and I'd had conversations, asked her questions, but she never, you know, she was just there. She never was judged me or, you know, she never told me what to do. And it was when I called and she said, yep, I'm going to an AA meeting tonight. I'd love for you to come with me. And that was all it took. And so I feel like that's part of why I have been so open about it is had she not been open about her sobriety, I wouldn't have known to reach out to her in the first place. And that's been such a connecting point with other women. And I've had other women reach out to me and say, gosh, what do I do? Or I'm not into AA. Is there something else I can do or whatever, just to start that conversation? Because you can't be supportive if you don't tell people what you're going through. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, wow. So she was there and that really kind of opened the door for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if she hadn't been so open about her struggle, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. But I know in that moment, like she was there for a reason for me. And, you know, I'm, I try to be there for other people for that reason, because it just totally changed the trajectory of my life. Right. Wow. So tell me a little bit about your life now. So again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I wish I had known before I had kids, like how great those little things could be. It's made me slow down so much. And before I stopped drinking, my worry was I'm not going to be the fun mom. I'm not going to be, it was obviously like more selfish thinking. I'm not going to be invited to all the things. I'm not going to have all the fun. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And that was my worry more than now where I am. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about and what my priorities now have changed so much. I definitely put my sobriety first. But my priorities with my family, I mean, I was never so focused on them before, which is a hard realization. But when you're so deep in addiction, you put that before everything else. And since I put my sobriety first, I've been able to be there in a way that I really didn't know what kind of a parent I could be. And I'm not perfect. I screw up all the time. But, you know, my best day when I was drunk, you know, is still worse than my worst day now. My life is just is so much better and I'm able to deal with things and the same exact things happen, you know, stressful things, life things, people die, people are sick, people, you know, 
things happen in life still that they did before I got sober, but I have a whole toolbox now. I've got my program. I have meditation. I have, I read books. I do all the things that I used to drink for before. Right. And you also, I think what's really important in your book, you also talk about a lot of the therapy that you did. You did transcranial magnetic stimulation for depression and anxiety. I mean, you really worked to help yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I was willing to explore anything. And what's kind of, I don't know if it's funny or ironic about that is I had looked into TMS before I got sober because I was looking for a way to feel better and still at that time wasn't equating alcohol to that at all. Like, oh, I'll do all these things, but still I want to keep my wine. So that is, that's something I kind of had in my back pocket for a really long time. And since I, you know, that was obviously super helpful and talked a lot about that. And I've had other friends who've actually tried and had the treatment and it's worked wonders for them. And again, I think there's nothing that's one size fits all and there's nothing that's the end all be all of everything, but there's so much more out there to explore than I guess I was willing to look at before I got sober. Right. And yeah, there is so much support out there and there's help and there's things that we didn't even know 10 years ago for our mental health and our well-being to be able to take advantage of that. So if there is someone out there, maybe a woman and a mom who is struggling, what would you want to tell them? I would say talk to somebody. And even if that is a close friend, your mom, a therapist, you know, talk to somebody just for the right now. I think immediate action is really important and you don't have to make a plan for your whole life right now. If you are contemplating the fact that you've got horrible anxiety or you've got postpartum depression or you're have an alcohol problem, whatever it is, like you don't have to make a plan for your whole life in one day. So baby steps. And the, you know, again, first thing for me was talking to one person who then gave me the next step, who gave me the next step. So find a trusted friend and just reach out. And I think that goes for really everybody too. If you don't feel like you have a thing, is to be aware of your friends who are probably going through something and not to be afraid to check on people. I know that sounds kind of silly, but if you, I can think of many times, and I've had conversations with my friends since who've said, you know, I noticed this and I wanted to say something, but I didn't where we're kind of afraid to step on toes or afraid to offend people. And so we're not there in a way that we really can be. So if you are struggling, reach out. And if you think someone might be struggling, ask yourself how you can be there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emily. How can people find out more information about you? Where can they find you? Yeah, I've got a website, www.emilylynnpaulson.com and on Instagram and at Highlight Real Recovery. And that's real, R-E-A-L. And they can also find your book on Amazon, right? That's right. Just uh, search Highlight Real and it'll come up. And I'll put all the links in the show notes as well. And Emily, thank you so much for coming on to The Addicted Mind. Thanks so much for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 79. 
Once again, if you are enjoying The Addicted Mind, rate and review us in iTunes. I really appreciate it. And I love reading the reviews as well. I think we've passed 100 reviews. I think we're almost up to 175, which blows me away. So I appreciate it so much to hear that people are listening and enjoying the podcast and getting a lot out of it. It's great to see that. So if it fits for you, please leave a review. I would love it. And also think about joining our Facebook group. Go to facebook.com, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join, and you can continue the conversation there as well. And think about sharing your wisdom. Go to theaddictedmind.com and click on the tab, share your story and give us a little piece of your wisdom that you've gotten that you would be willing to share about your own recovery, dealing with a loved one that is in recovery or struggling with addiction, and what's helped you the most. I want to hear your voices on the Addicted Mind podcast as well. So if that's a fit for you, think about doing that and check it out. All right, everybody, take care, and I hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you on the next episode. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.